So one day Jesus uh, was walking out of the temple with his disciples, and the disciples were looking around and they were commenting on the temple architecture and the grounds and how impressive everything was. And uh, you just kind of get the picture that they were pretty happy, celebratory in this time. And then Jesus just drops a bomb on the conversation, just a big downer. He says, he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And that just kind of silenced everybody. And they walked for a while. And it says later, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. When will all this happen? When will all this happen? That's the question. Today's message is the last part in a series called Daniel. And the central thought of this series is how to live a godly life in an ungodly age, in a world that is just slipping away from God and only becoming more ungodly, a culture that is shifting away from God. And we've looked at some very important lessons that, quite honestly, we can't afford to learn the hard way. Some lessons you can afford to learn the hard way. These aren't them. The second half of the book of Daniel, we've been in the first half mostly, the second half is comprised of three visions, and, and if we were to put them into the book chronologically, they'd be among those first six chapters. And what Jesus, and what he saw in these dreams was the future, and Jesus validated Daniel as a prophetic book when he said that the events that Daniel saw were still to come. And if you read the whole chapter of Matthew 24, you'll get Jesus' explanation of end times. If you're going through the Talk It Over notes with this series, you'll have that opportunity then to go all the way through Matthew 24. We're going to look at a little chunk of it up front. Uh, so let's dive in. Your outlines were hole-punched on the wrong side, so make sure that you are looking at the title. It'll say the title at the top. <laughs> I know we're a smart people this morning, right? Matthew 24, 3. So his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? That's what people love to do. They love making timing charts and graphs, but there's a bigger thought than just knowing the time. Okay, Jesus would later say, you don't know the day or the hour because I don't even know the day or the hour. Only God the Father knows when all this will happen. So stop putting your energy into figuring out a time. Thank goodness the disciples asked a better question. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus said, I can't tell you the time, but I can tell you the signs. And then in the following verses, Jesus goes through a long explanation with a list of signs. And what's interesting about the signs is that all of them have been fulfilled in different generations. So every generation thought they would be the end times generation. World War II would have been a really good guess because you had wars, threats of wars, rumors of wars, and... You had a figure like Hitler that many thought was the Antichrist. Well, that obviously didn't work out, and here's the reason why. All generations have had these signs, but none of them have had all the signs at the same time. And when you study the signs, you'll discover that we are the first generation ever where all the signs have been initiated on some level. They're in the process of being fulfilled in some way. I'm not trying to predict a time. I'm just saying it's possible we're the end times generation because these signs are being fulfilled. 
But don't get hung up on that. Jesus would later uh, say in this chapter what ties us in with Daniel. He says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. He'll say even some Christians will grow cold and even condone some wickedness. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all generations will hear it and then the end will come. The word nations here in the Greek uh, doesn't mean geographical nations. It means people groups. So, you know, within every nation, there's lots of different people groups. And when all these different ethnic groups have the gospel, have an opportunity to receive Christ, that's the big climax. Okay, then the end will come. What's amazing is because of digital technology, we're living in a day and age where this is happening. For instance, one instance would be, it used to be that a missionary would go into the mission field and build a Bible school. Now you can put a Bible school on your smartphone and put it into your pocket. Everything is condensing, becoming more rapid. It's becoming easier to reach the unreached. You need to know, by the way, that Rockbrook is heavily involved in reaching the unreached of the, of the world. And part of what you give goes to seeing this fulfilled. Verse 15, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes de desecration standing in the holy place. That's actually a phrase plucked right out of the book of Daniel. The holy place it's referring to is Jerusalem. And the object that causes desecration is a point in the seven-year tribulation at the end of time, right in the middle of it, at three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to rise is going to put a statue of himself into the temple in Jerusalem. It's called the object that causes desecration or the abomination that causes desolation. The point is, it's an object that defiles and violates. It's spoken about through the book of Daniel, and Jesus is validating the prophecies of Daniel. Then he says, pay attention. Let the reader understand. And let me just say, it's hard for the reader to understand. You read through the prophecies in Daniel, and you read through the book of Revelation, it's complicated. So I'm going to do my best to make all this complicated stuff easier to understand. My goal is to reduce the visions that Daniel saw uh, to a few key points, and then we'll talk about how to live in light of this prophecy. Because knowledge, knowledge is only worthwhile if you do something with the knowledge. Other, if you don't do anything with what you learned, it's worthless. So here's the deal. This is going to get pretty technical for a few minutes. But if you get lost, don't check out on me. Don't start counting light bulbs or something. We'll all get back on the same page, all right? There's one place where Daniel summarizes all the visions. The way he explains it, it was with this phrase, 70 sets of seven. Seven what? Well, looking back from our vantage point and with other scripture, we know now that it's seven years, 70 sets of seven years. In his visions, these were 70 sets of seven years of prophecy. He saw 490 years worth of future events. Most of the years have already been fulfilled. And he breaks them down into segments. There's three major segments. Daniel 9, verse 24, a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to be, rebuild Jerusalem. And Daniel had no idea at this point that they would actually go back to Jerusalem, but they did. 
And that's what the books of Nehemiah and Ezra are about. If your Old Testament were in chronological order, those two books would be at the end of the Old Testament. Right after this happened in Daniel, they went back and rebuilt Jerusalem. So there will be this rebuilding time until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Notice that that's capitalized because he saw Jesus. He saw the Messiah. So he saw seven sets of seven. And, and how long did it take him to rebuild the Jerusalem to its former state? 49 years. And then he saw 62 sets of seven. And that's exactly how long it was until Jesus gave his life on the cross. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. And in AD 70, they came in and uh, the rebuilt temple was torn down again. The end will come with a flood and war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler, he calls this person later uh, the Antichrist, will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. This is the tribulation. It's the missing set of seven. The Antichrist will go to Jerusalem. He'll broker a deal with Israel. The Israelites and Palestinians will come into agreement, and all Israel wants is to rebuild the temple and reinstate blood sacrifice like the Old Testament talks about. And this will happen for one set of seven. But three and a half years into this set of seven, the Antichrist will go back on his word. He'll revoke the blood sacrifice and therefore revealing himself for who he really is. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. If I were to summarize that whole passage, it's this. Write this down in the margin. It's not what those blanks are for. Daniel saw 70 sets of seven, equaling 490 years of prophecy. If you don't have an outline, if you don't have a pen, go get you one right now, because it's going to be hard to follow this message without taking notes. Daniel saw 70 sets of seven, equaling 490 years of prophecy. 483 years of the 490 years have been fulfilled. By the way, if you want to read the rest of Daniel... He saw, he saw things like Alexander the Great. He saw a king rising from the Greeks. He saw the Roman Empire taken over. He saw a lot, and it played out exactly like he saw it. The reason I'm not covering it is because I'd rather spend our time on what's yet to be fulfilled. But there were 490 years and 449 years to rebuild the temple. That's the first set of sevens. And remember, he talked about 62 sets of seven, literally 434 years to the day. God, Jesus was on the cross and gave his life, which means here's the summary of it all. There are seven years of prophecy missing. There are seven years that Daniel saw that have not yet been fulfilled. That's the part that should be interesting to us because those seven years, Jesus talked about them. Daniel, Paul, Peter wrote about them. John centered the whole book of Revelation around them. People look at the book of Revelation and feel so overwhelmed, and it's so complicated. And I'm someone who likes to communicate uh, confusing things in a simple way. And if you take a look at the book of Revelation, you can summar summarize it down. There are literally about ten events. And I just want to take a couple minutes and go over these ten events. I'm going to show you the seven-year period. It's going to fit with those ten events. You can write these down in the blank spaces. Number one, the church. The church age. Revelation 2 through 3. 
read and live these chapters. He said there's going to be a period before all this begins, and Jesus himself says, this is what I want the church to focus on. This is what I want the church doing. This is what I want their activities to be centered around. You've got to read those two chapters and live them out. Number two, the rapture, Revelation 4.1. Many believe that the Bema seat judgment is right after this, uh, the award ceremony for believers' good works. But at some point, there's going to be a snatching away of the church. And some people say, no, 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 the rapture doesn't happen this early. But what's interesting is Revelation 4 is the last place where the word church is mentioned in the book of Revelation. You open up your Bible, start reading through Revelation, you get church, 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 and then nothing. It's because they're not there to talk about. Personally, I believe there's going to be a snatching away of the church. If you don't believe that, I'm cool with that. Because the conclusions are the same for all of us, no matter what we believe on this particular issue. So if you don't agree with me, don't rush the stage after the sermon. You don't have to email me, because the conclusions are the same, no matter what you believe. Then the third event that takes place is the rise of the Antichrist. This is the part that Daniel saw. He saw a person that would come and broker a deal with Israel, that would let them build their temple. At first, he's going to look like a great guy, then he'll lure everybody in, by having them take on the mark of the beast. And that's going to begin when he signs that deal. By the way, if you're around for the signing of the tr that treaty, the rapture didn't happen or you missed it. <laughs> so hang in there. <laughs> but that's the big one. When you see that happen, let me just say, plans are already being made uh, for the rebuilding of the temple. All the furniture is in a warehouse somewhere and they're ready to go. All they get, all they're just waiting on a signature, okay? The sign of the treaty starts that missing set of sevens. And then number four, the tribulation, Revelation 6 through 19. Notice with me that almost all of the book of Re Revelation is about these seven years. This is where people get bogged down, and I'm just going to reduce it to this for now. There will be seven years of tribulation. It will be extremely difficult. It will be very hard. People will come to Christ, but it will be very hard, and it will be a very hard time. But it will all end with the fifth event. Number five, the second coming of Christ. Praise God! Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He's sitting there right now, and he's wanting to come back and get you. And the only thing holding him back is God the Father. The Bible tells us that God is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient not wanting anyone to perish. So the only thing that's holding God back is his love for that one lost person. Okay, I just have this picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He's got his horse here. He's all ready to go. He's saying, God, is today the day? Father, is today the day? Can we go get him today? Can we go today? And God says, okay, mount up. Jesus mounts up. He's ready to come back. And God says, wait, 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 wait. There's one more that can be saved. There's one more lost person that can be found. And that one person, that person is your neighbor, is the person you work with, it's the person in your family, it's the person you've been praying for. He is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient, wanting that person to be saved. Isn't that cool? Number six, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19. Some of us have heard this so many times we're desensitized to it. This is awesome. 
Jesus is going to take Satan, the Antichrist, and all their goons and bury them in a bottomless grave. With them will go addiction, depression, pornography, deceit, confusion, loneliness, anxiety, greed, disease, slavery, and destruction. And Jesus will throw a party. Any party people here? This is going to be amazing. I read this in Romans 16 yesterday. I want you to be wise. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. I just had this picture of, of someone who has struggled with depression their whole life, dancing on the grave of depression. Someone who's been locked into the addiction of lust or alcoholism or something else, dancing in freedom, chains off on the grave of that sin. It will be amazing. Jesus will throw a party. Some people think that hell is where the party is. No, the real party is with Jesus. If you don't like having a good time, you're going to hate being with Jesus because he is going to have a good time. Marriage, supper, it's going to be food, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome with Jesus. Number seven, the millennium. Revelation 20 through 6. This will be a thousand year reign of Christ on earth. We'll get to see what it's like to live on earth with Jesus as king. It will be amazing. I can't wait. No line at Oklahoma Joe's. I mean, the hot light at Krispy Kreme always on. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) I can't wait. Jesus will be king of all. Number eight, the last rebellion. Revelation chapter 27 through 10. God will let Satan out one more time to test the earth. Remember back in week two, Satan is at the mercy of Jesus. So it's not like after a thousand years, Satan and the Antichrist battled their way back and they make it out of the grave to test the earth. No, Jesus is at the mercy of Satan. And what Jesus will do is take Satan by the scruff of the neck, bring him back into the picture one last time to give those who were born during the millennium uh, the opportunity to choose or reject Jesus. Okay? Number nine is the great white throne judgment, which if you're a Christian, you won't be a part of. This is where everybody living and dead who's rejected Jesus will have their day in court. And they will be judged before the Lord. Number 10, eternity. Revelation 21. The misunderstanding about this is that we'll um, be fat babies in clouds, singing and playing harps. Uh, No, that's not how. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the earth will be remade much like the Garden of Eden. Eden, it will be incredible. The Bible says the lion and the lamb will lay down together, that they'll lose their carnivorous instincts. There, there will be peace, and you'll get to enjoy nature with peace. You'll get to enjoy God's creation without the threat of being harmed. And the Bible talks about how all the ethnic groups will be together in one place. So we're not all going to be made into one. We're not all going to be clones and look exactly the same. God created and loves every ethnic group, and we will get to enjoy life without racism or division or hatred it's heaven is going to be fabulous you're going to love it and this is how that all plays out it's fun to study you might take issue with some of my broad summaries here but that's fine because when studying this stuff the most important question is how does it change my life you can have the most accurate end times chart but if it doesn't affect your life it's worthless prophecy is important a third of the bible is prophetic It's worth studying, but it has to be kept in balance. 
whenever the disciples wanted to talk about prophecy with Jesus, Jesus would quickly shift the discussion to evangelism. He wanted his followers to be focusing on their mission in the world. Okay, he wants his followers' primary focus to be on what they can control. The details of Christ's return, quite frankly, are none of our business. It's God's grace that he lets us in on any of it. It's out of his goodness. It's bonus. He wants us to focus on what we can control, our mission in the world. So let's walk through the last chapter in Daniel with the question, how do I live in light of this prophecy? Daniel 12, chapter 1. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. That's the last seven-year period, the tribulation. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Daniel saw the book of life. When you're saved, when you put your faith in Jesus, you start living in repentance. Your name is written in the book of life. It's written in a book that will be opened before you're led into heaven. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. This is the great white throne judgment. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise, those who are wise, those who are wise. Not those who have just studied, because knowledge is the ability to understand something. Wisdom is the ability to apply it. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. In other words, he's saying, I need, a, I need a people who get it, who understand and know how to live their life in the middle of all this, and that will shine into the darkness of earth. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. This is why I love the missional nature of our church. Uh, we don't exist so that you can just have a place to go on Sunday. We exist for those who aren't here yet, for the lost. Uh, it's why we do three services in three and a half hours, and we'll do more. And it's why we have a pastoral team flying around the world, and we'll keep doing it. We're going to shine like stars into this earth. That you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end when, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. I just want to point out that this is two more signs that are unique to this generation. Only 150 years ago, uh, you couldn't travel more than 20, 30 or 20 or 30 miles a day. That's why when you travel across a big state like Texas, you get a town about every 30 miles because that's as far as you could go without needing sleep or giving your horse a break. You know, today, I, after this service, I could get on a plane and fly to Lucknow, India, and be there in, 24 hours, in less than 24 hours. We live in an age that is marked by rushing here and there. And knowledge is increasing. Scientists say that knowledge didn't even double until the first time about 200 years ago. They say it doubled again about 50 years after that, and then it doubled again about 30 years later. But today... Knowledge is doubling every 18 to 24 months. Mankind will know twice as much in two years from right now than, than we know right now. But don't confuse wisdom with knowledge. We'll probably be half as wise. <laughs> I love how Daniel picks this up in verse 8. I heard what he said, but I didn't understand what he meant. That's a refrigerator verse for all the guys in here. Put that at, honey, I heard what you said, but I didn't know what you meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. 
Just one more statistic that's unique to this generation is more people have given their life to Christ from 2003 to 2013 than all the time from Christ to 2003. More people have given their life to Christ in the last decade than all the decades after Christ until 2003. We are, yeah, it's amazing. We are beginning to live in the harvest generation. If you don't like big churches, you're going to hate what's coming up. But look at this next verse. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Peter goes as far as to say, we will be mocked. And you're either ready for that or you're not. Wickedness will increase, and they will mock you because they don't understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. That's what I'm appealing to you today, that you will be wise children of God. I'm going to reduce it down to three things that that you need to be wise about at the end of this message. Verse 11, from the time the daily sacrifice is stopped, that's the three and a half year moment in the middle of the tribulation where the Antichrist revokes uh, the peace treaty, and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, that's the statue of himself, is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1,290 days. That's exactly three and a half years. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. He says, for you, go your way until the end. You will rest. He says you need to rest. Let me just say right here that if all this makes you nervous or scared, that's not the purpose of prophecy. If this makes you scared, that could be a red flag that something's up in your relationship with Jesus. Because the purpose of prophecy, I'm going to sum up the purpose of prophecy right here. Write it down in the margin somewhere. The purpose of prophecy is to make you more faithful and less fearful. God wants you to be more faithful. He's given you this information so you'll know you're on the winning side. He's done it so you can increase your confidence in him. The purpose of prophecy is to make you more faithful, not more fearful. And I get it. Some of this is very sobering. And some of it is very scary. Our earthly safety, our well-being is going to be tested and attacked. But prophecy shows us that the mission is greater than safety. That the kingdom, God's kingdom is worth it. That Jesus is worth whatever we might endure. Jesus is worth it. Prophecy should lead us to be the most excited, confident people on the planet. It should be a tool to help us renew our minds, to not pattern our behavior after the world, but transform the way we think. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. God says, rest. And at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. You will receive the inheritance set aside for you. Hang in there. There is a great inheritance headed your way. Be faithful. Don't be fearful. We're going to come back to this at the end, but let's let Peter weigh in on this. 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. In other words, you're not going to be able to predict it. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. He says you should live holy, and holy doesn't mean perfect. It means set apart. It means separate. 
It means you should be in the world, not of the world. You should be in culture, don't have culture in you, okay? Verse 12, looking forward to the day of God, and what? Say that with me. Hurrying it along. Did you know that you can actually speed the return of Christ? You play a role in the return of Christ. Remember Daniel said, be a shining light. Lead many to righteousness. I want you to know that what we do together as a church is assisting in Christ's return on earth. It's assisting in kingdom come. That is why we need to be a church that is on mission, to reach as many as we possibly can. That's what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to, number one, follow God, not culture. Follow God. Follow God, not culture. If you change with culture, you're not part of the wise. You're part of the deceived. Let the word of God be your standard. At the end of the Apostle Paul's teaching on this in 1 Thessalonians, he says, May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Number two, be ready for Christ's return. Be ready for Christ's return. You got a wedding day coming up. Are you ready? I mean, if you were a future bride, right? I mean, if you had a wedding day bearing down, you're doing everything you can to get ready. I see some, you know, people engaged. They're like, oh, we got a wedding in two and a half years. Ah! They're doing everything they can to get ready. You don't know the day or the Be ready for Christ's return. Be ready. At the end of the list of signs, Jesus said, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Some of us are more enamored with the world than we are Jesus. And today is a great day to start getting ready for Christ's return. And the third thing is, Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John, they all talk about the role we play in end times. To lead many to righteousness. That we're to shine brightly. That scores of people will come to Christ. And I'm begging all of us as a church to make the most of this life. Make the most of this life. Make the, make the most of the fact that you're in the greatest generation. Before you pack up your notes or move around, uh, stay with me. Life for us is awesome. It's comfortable. We're going to go eat lunch we're in an air-conditioned room. We're comfortable. Life is great. We are blessed. But this life is not about this life. The fact that we have all this is bonus. It's because God is good and gracious. That breath you just took is because God is good and gracious. This life is about making the biggest difference you can in the next life. Do whatever it takes to reach the lost. Do whatever it takes short of sin to reach as many as you can and get as many people into heaven as you can. Make the most of the fact that you are alive today in this generation. Ephesians 5, so be careful how you live. No, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't, don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make the most of this life. Make the most of the opportunity God has given you. God has strategically placed you in this generation for a reason. You are alive at this time, in this day, in this generation for a reason. It's not an accident. He wanted you here today. 
and the fact that you're still breathing, your heart beating proves that God has something he wants to see fulfilled in your life. You're not done. Make the most of it. I've spoken with many of you this week, and I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to close this series down or what my last words are going to be, closing words in this series. And in speaking with a lot of you, a lot of us are just struggling and hurting and confused. A lot of us are just tired. And maybe, maybe I'm just up here today to encourage you to hang in there. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't quit on your kid. Don't give up on your ministry. Jesus has not given up on you. He has not given up on you. And don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. Be faithful. You hang in there. Know that God loves you. And you have a great inheritance headed your way. Finish this race. Stand firm to the end. Stay the course. Finish this race and receive the great great inheritance God has prepared just for you. Don't give up. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we've just been made aware that we need to follow you, not culture. God, help every one of us to get ready for your return. Help us discern what is you and what's culture. We make the decision to follow you. We want to leverage everything we have for your kingdom. And God, we don't want to be afraid. We want to be thankful. We thank you, God, for putting us in this generation where we could have so much impact for the glory of you alone. God, thank you. Help us. Help us stay faithful. Just instill in us endurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand and worship?